with you guys today, worship God with you, and gather with you in this place. And You know, God has blessed my life with many that have corrected me. The correction of the wise has steered my life at various times in various ways, where if I was left to my own thoughts and my own devices and my own ideas, well, I probably would have gotten off to a pretty treacherous course. My, my wife and I, our, our marriage is good today and strong today because of the wisdom of the wise. Ministry, I hope that uh, you're here, so your, your vote with your feet to show up means something positive is taking place around here. And I probably would have destroyed my pastoral ministry years ago if it wasn't for the discipline and correction of the wise. Mentors, experienced pastors, people praying for me and gaining insight into my life through prayer. And even now that I've been in pastoral ministry for, this is my third decade, young pastors coming in and starting out, because now I'm teaching some courses with our district training center and doing some of that, and young pastors coming in and helping me get a fresh idea and some fresh perspectives on things. So always being corrected. I feel like everybody's always trying to tell me what to do. And sometimes I should listen. I probably should have listened Wednesday when Susan said, you should not go play basketball. And I said, eh. She goes, Paul, you're back. Your back is not that good. I know, but eh. I cycle, I mountain bike. I'm not going to get tired. I didn't get tired. I got hurt. (laughs) I was all fine until I got in my car and drove one mile home. And then it was quite challenging getting out of the car. Really challenging getting in the house. And then crawling around on the floor the next day was pretty fun too. My chiropractor opens at 9 o'clock. I called him 901. Help. He wasn't even in the office yet. His computer sent his to his home thing. And he said, yeah, I'm not there. I'll meet you there. Okay. You'll pour myself into the car. Okay, 3 and 4 are out. L3 and 4, they're out. Take a couple deep breaths. Oh, Lord. Pop those back in place crawl around for another day. Thank you, Jesus, for Theraguns. Anybody else have one of those? If you don't have Theraguns, those things that goes like this, and you all over. I got that thing out, started working those muscles around that area, cringed a little bit, and thought, man, why didn't I listen to my wife? Correction of the wise. None of us by ourselves have all that we need to set a course in life that's productive, right? And I know that we live in a time where, you know, Long time ago, people used to depend on all kinds of religious beliefs, and there was a spiritual kind of thing for everything. There was a god or a demon behind everything, and, then, and religion was everything in the world, the ancient world. And then as we move kind of past that into the Enlightenment period of the 18th century, many people gave up on religion, and we moved into this modern kind of world where science was the thing, and we're going to find truth through science. And, well, science led us to the atomic weapon, and so many people thought, oh boy, Science just helps us to kill each other at, a, at an even greater rate. So science really isn't a help. And so post-World War II, what we call the postmodern age, is people just started to say, live your own narrative. Live your own truth. What you believe to be true, if you believe it's true for yourself, then that's true. And you can live basically however you see fit. Well, see, we run into a lot of tr- trouble when that happens, Right? When we have people just saying, well, I'm going to live out my own narrative. I'm going to live out my own truth. You can't tell me what to live, but I can live my own self. Well, then we have Putin invading Ukraine because he 
He's living out his narrative, his truth. His version of the world, as he thinks it should be, he'll just enact that. So people gave up on religion. They gave up on science. I think we're discovering in a world of racism and hate and cancel culture, we're realizing that individuals and leaving truth to the subjective um, ideologies of mankind, that also is not working, is it? And so something needs to change because everything man tries to create ends up creating more chaos because that's what man is internally. And Jesus told us that a long time ago when he said that our hearts are horribly wicked and who can trust them? And anytime we look to ourselves and we look inward to ourselves to find truth and value, all we find is an empty black abyss. Where do we look? Well, we should look to the author and finisher of our faith. We should look to our Creator, the one who created us, the one who defined us, the one who shaped us, molded us, the one that has invited us into His creative, authoritative power. And then we should look to each other for help and guidance along the way in following our Creator. And that's why Jesus came to reconnect the creation with the Creator. And He reconnected the creation with His Creator by paying for the creature's sin and misdeeds and washing us of all of our sin and making us holy once again to be in the presence of a holy God. And it is only in the work of Jesus in our hearts where we can once again find that peace. And so, in order to get that, my friends, I believe that trust in action must be employed by trusting people that speak the hard truth. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? So the title of this morning's message is The Hard Truth. Because so many times in my life, I needed the hard truth. I needed friends to love me enough to tell me, Paul, you don't want to hear this, but this is what's going on. I've needed my family to tell me, Dad, you, you don't want to hear this, but I've needed my church family, my friends, to tell me, I know this isn't the easiest thing for you, but here it is, the hard truth. And so I want to challenge you today with this statement, trust those willing to speak difficult truths of correction. Now, I know that we cannot trust everyone that comes with a word of correction, right? There's going to be some discernment. There's going to be some prayer. There's going to have to be some relationship building. Because everybody that comes to you with a word of correction, eh, we can't just trust everyone. So how do we get this done? How do you and I understand our own limitations? How do you and I understand our constant need for advice and correction and guidance how often are my own thoughts and my own ideas unproductive and taking me in the wrong direction and i need to hear the hard truth and so do you we're going to look at a few examples today in scripture and uh please excuse me if i read a more lengthy passages of scripture throughout this message this morning but it just um, is necessary I first want to draw your attention to this point that Nathan in the Bible, an Old Testament prophet who worked under the guidance and leadership of King David, Nathan rebukes David for his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Before this account in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1-14, through 14, where David gets corrected, David had committed a very grave sin. 
And then he continued to make things worse. It started when David saw Bathsheba. Well, it started before that. It started when David didn't go out to war with his troops. That was customary for kings. But David stayed back and sent his men off to war. And in staying back and not being where he should be, he then saw things he shouldn't see. And he saw the next door neighbor bathing on the roof and he invited her over. They did what people do that they shouldn't do unless they're married. Unless they're married. And if you're married, as much as you like. More the more the better, I guess. Yes, your pastor said that. We're in church. What is that not is that not the case? I praise the Lord. <laughs> right? Yeah. So David did that. And then lo and behold, that young lady was got pregnant. And David covered it up, brought home Uriah, her wife. And said, why don't you go and just be with your wife? Take a break. And he's like, how can I be? He slept on the porch, Uriah did. And he didn't cooperate with David's plan. And so he slept on the porch. And David said, well, why aren't you enjoying your wife? Oh, how could I when my men are out in battle? So David's like, ah, this isn't working. Well, then send Uriah to the hottest place in the battle. Send Uriah out to where he's sure to be killed. And sure enough, he was. And then David, trying to look like the big hero, says, oh, the woman is now a widow. I will bring her in as my wife. Oh, what a nice man David is. So he gets away with this, he thinks. Nobody is the wiser until we get to chapter 12 of 1 Samuel and we read this phrase in verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh oh. <laughs> God knows what's going on. And see, this is what God does God sends people to people. And so he sends Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it and he brought it up and grew and it grew up with him and with his children and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich, to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from one of his own flocks or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor and lamb and prepared it for the man who was to come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then we have verse 7. Nathan said to David, You are that man. Oh. Now you understand, speaking like that to the king could have resulted in off with your head. But Nathan was sent by God and he revealed to David that he was the one that was committing this sin. And then listen how the Lord deals with this. And we don't like texts like this, we don't like passages like this because, let's face it, it's pretty harsh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. 
And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this was too little, I would have added to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed and never depart from, excuse me, I missed something, his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun David said to Nathan I have sinned against the Lord and Nathan said to David the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die nevertheless because by this deed you have Utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. That's a wild passage. <laughs> That's a, I can't believe this is going to happen passage. It's a painful passage to realize that the sin that was done in secret is now being brought to light and David's punishment will be lasting throughout his life. Is there going to be forgiveness? Sure. If you commit sin, does God forgive you and cleanse you? Sure. But there are lasting ramifications to the choices that you make in your life. There is no free ticket. But so many of us, when we come to Jesus, we expect what? No repercussions for our sin. Ladies and gentlemen, there are lifelong repercussions to our sin should we choose to dishonor and scorn the word of the Lord. And David suffered that. David suffered the loss of this child. David suffered when his sons would rebel against him and try to take the throne from him. And for the rest of David's life, there was division in his own home. His sons tried to remove him from the throne. There was always war. There was always pain. Always. But notice then what David did. Brings us to our second point of this message is that Nathan's rebuke brings David to repentance and the request for a a clean heart. Hmm. You see, David never repented until he got called out on his sin. Isn't that so much like us? I know so many times I've had students or people come and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're not sorry that you did it. You're sorry you got caught. Because if you were sorry you did it, you would have confessed your sin before anybody caught you. If you had remorse over what you did, you would have been the one to come and tell your wife, hey, uh, You don't know this, but I emptied the bank account and bought this new car. Oh, well. Or I this, or I that. But very rarely, and what happens sometimes, very rarely do people ever confess their own sins before they get caught. It's very rare. Some do. Sometimes, some of you might have. Some of you might have done things that violate the Word of God and violate the trust of others, and the Holy Spirit so convicted your heart that you (laughs) went to those that you have offended, and you 
sought forgiveness and restoration in that relationship because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But most of the time, we won't do that. Most of the time, we'll be just like David. But notice what happens in David's heart. When you read this beautiful psalm, if you didn't know Psalm 51 was connected to 1 Samuel 12, you'd be missing out on the beauty of the psalm. Because when David got busted, this is what God did in his heart. David cries out in verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse from me my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Lead me here. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from the blood guiltness, blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem then. Will you delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and a whole burnt offering? Then bulls will be offered on the altar. You see that beautiful expression, that beautiful acknowledgement of our own sin. This psalm is why God calls David after this whole disaster, after committing adultery, after committing murder, after covering it up and being the fake hero. After all of that, David pours out his heart like this, and God says, you are a man after my own heart. You want to be a person after God's own heart? Then you're going to have to learn, and I'm going to have to learn to trust people who will speak the hard truths to us. We will have to respond like David did. We will have to respond by repentance and a request for a cleansing of our heart. And when God cleanses our heart, he will make you new, and you, like David, will sing the praises of God. You see, when David's son, through his relationship with Bathsheba, his son became very ill, and David went to a season of prayer and fasting, and he put on what's called sackcloth, which is like burlap, itchy, itchy cloth, and he mourned, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and God still, his discipline was on him, and God took that son from the presence of this earth into his own presence. Because that's what happened there. Don't be deceived to think that God did something bad to this child. Oh, for us, the death of a child is the most worst, the biggest catastrophe, the most horrifying thing we could ever, ever think about, right? 
the worst thing that could ever possibly happen to a parent or a grandparent is to lose a child. From David's end, this was an absolute disaster. From God's perspective, taking a child from an earthly existence to a heavenly existence, not a bad thing. Not a bad deal for the kid. Absolutely not a bad deal. The, the child is the one. The child is the one that's getting blessed. And I know from my human experience, trust me, if one of my three little grandsons gets taken early, I'm going to have a massive problem. And the words that just came out of my mouth in reference to them, I will have to tell myself through weeping and heartbreak. Because we're human. And we live in this space. But to look and to think God is some evil, that God has got something wrong with Him, <laughs> that He should do this? No. Because when you and I get a taste of the eternal life, we will never regret leaving this one. And so David understood that. And once David's son died, David showered, bathed in those days, bathed, put on a fresh set of clothes, went down to the king's table, and ate a king's meal. And when the people looked at David and said, wait a minute, while your son was sick, you mourned. But now that he passed away, now you're refreshed and eating? And he said, yeah, because he will not come to me, but I will go to him. So David knew that this stinks. and God's not giving me my son back. But one day, I will go to him. David had that eternal perspective, and he knew that it was his sin that brought this on. And God was just in doing to David what he had done. And then David, instead of rebelling against God, instead of rejecting God, instead of making ridiculous claims such as God does not exist or how could a loving God do this, David took responsibility and said, it's on me. And then he poured out his heart such as you've just heard in Psalm 51. Another thing about these folks that will speak to us the hard truth. You know when they do so, they're just following and obeying Jesus. Those who rebuke fellow Christians are obeying Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 17, verses 1-3, through where He said to His disciples, this is Jesus talking, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to those through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and that he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Then verse 3, key verse. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Do you catch the order? If I sin and you're my brother or sister in Christ, it is your obligation to obey Jesus and rebuke me. To come and say, Pastor, that you did this, and the Bible says this, and therefore, Pastor, you, you just sinned. And hopefully, if I'm listening to you, and I'm listening to God, and I understand that like Nathan was sent to David, so you have been sent to me, then I too should pour out my heart like David did in Psalm 51 and repent of my sin and seek your forgiveness and then you would forgive me. Do you see how that works? But our culture has this all mixed up. Our culture stops us right at the beginning of that whole scene. 
Because as soon as one person comes to another and says, hey, i got a statement of rebuke for you. i got to correct you. i got to tell you that you're wrong. Don't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge us. You be judged. You're not supposed to judge. Oh, no. Who are you to tell me what's wrong? I can live my own truth. I have my own narrative. I see it this way. You see it another one. We all just do our own thing. But see, what if you were just left to your own ideas? What if no one ever corrected you? What if no one ever challenged you? What if no one ever loved you enough to tell you that you were headed down a destructive path? They, they just let you go. They say, well, I'm not, I'm not supposed to judge. And who am I? They're just living out their truth. They're just living out their... Is it loving for us to allow each other to destroy our lives? To destroy our marriages? No. The most loving thing for us to do is to stand in the way of that and to come to one another and say, hey, I love you. And you're making a massive mistake. That's how we love each other. But it's God sending people to people and then learning to trust that process and learning to listen. So the challenge then becomes our willingness to trust correction reveals wisdom and insight. So if you've got wisdom and insight dwelling within you because you're amazing, you know how we're going to notice that? We're going to notice your wisdom and your righteousness by your ability to listen to those that God sends your way. But if you refuse to listen to those that God sends your way, you're just revealing your sinfulness and your stubbornness and your own hard heart. But if you and I learn to trust people that God sends our way, if we develop a sensitive ear to the Holy Spirit as spoken and guiding other people into our lives, you and I will display our wisdom because you will be smart enough wise enough to listen to those who God sends your way. Notice Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7-10 through 10 say, this, say this, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Boy, we see that all over the place today, right? Somebody lovingly corrects another one and all they get is insult. Okay? Whoever rebukes a wicked and cures abuse. Yeah, we see that too. Verse 7 is alive and well and all the social media feeds, all our all our news outlets, all of our conversations at work, we see verse 7 of, of Proverbs 9, alive and well. He said, do not rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. What a powerful truth. So are you wise enough? To listen? Are you wise enough to trust when people are sent to you by God? Are you wise enough to figure that out? Or are you just going to cast insults upon them and reject them and cancel them and abuse them? And then we together as a church congregation, I believe the Bible offers us a challenge as we seek to operate as a church family that we can trust those who in their rebuke call us back to true discipleship. Because that's what we're going to do for one another. Constantly calling ourselves back. Because you and I as human beings, we will tend to drift. We'll tend to drift to our own inner desires. We'll tend to drift towards what's popular, what's um, beneficial, what's utilitarian, whatever works. We're going to drift. You and I are going to drift. But if we keep calling each other back to the Lord, calling each other back to learn from Jesus. Notice Mark chapter 8, verse 31-38. through 38. 
And he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And as he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you see what Peter was doing? Jesus was coming and saying, Hey guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be rejected and mistreated. It'll ultimately lead to my rejection and my death on the cross. And Peter stands up and goes, Oh no, you're wrong. Another gospel writer says, Not so, Lord. It's as though Jesus was there and Peter just stood up and stuck his hand right in Jesus and stop Jesus don't don't be going down that path you're not going to be rejected you're not going to and he gets told that he is literally acting as a follower of Satan wow Jesus says get behind me Satan why because you have the things of man in mind not the things of God. And so that rebuke corrected Peter and moved him back to a place where we are not so much centered in thinking about our own ways, but once again being reorientated back to the things of God. Verse 34 goes on, it says, and calling the crowd to him. Jesus, after he does this to Peter, he says, come here guys, come here. And now he's going to put Peter on blast, right? Yes, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Or whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What an amazing passage of Scripture. What an amazing opportunity that you and I have as brothers and sisters in Christ to help one another stay on this path that we're following Jesus. Because you and I are human. You and I have frailties. You and I do things that we know we're not supposed to. You and I ignore our wives and go play basketball and end up crawling around on the floor the next day. You and I do all sorts of things like that. And we are in desperate need to love each other enough and to learn to put our trust in God in action by listening to the people God sends our way to correct our path, reorientate us back to following Jesus, and be the people that God has called us to be. Thank you.